Amy, we've got a bunch of little nieces and nephews between us, but we've also got a catch-all gift that all of our siblings love for their newborns. You're totally right, and it's Pampers Swaddlers, because Pampers Swaddlers wick wetness away to keep babies drier and subsequently parents happier. Pampers Swaddlers absorb wetness better versus the leading value brand and provide up to 100% leak-proof skin protection and up to 0% skin irritation. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologist approved by the Skin Health Alliance. They're hypoallergenic and they're free of parabens and latex. Now you can try Swaddlers with new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes for healthy baby skin. These wipes won't tear. In fact, they grip mess, shall we say, more firmly and clean better, leaving baby skin dry, soft, and smooth. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Only redeemable via Pampers Club. Pampers Cash has no cash value. Come inside my head. What fresh hell. Laughing in the face of motherhood. Oh, she gained some weight during the pandemic. With Margaret Abels and Amy Wilson. Look at you. Oh, what are you studying? A podcast that solves today's parenting dilemmas so you don't have to. She's a lot at a party. Hey, everybody. Welcome to What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. This is Amy. And this is Margaret. And today, just for a change of pace, Amy, let's start with mailbag without forgetting it. What? We're going to do it first? I mean, I just thought it would be fun to for once actually do the thing we said we were going to do, which is start with a mailbag. We get mail in so many places. You can leave us a DM on Instagram. You can come to our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash what fresh hellcast, or you can email us info at whatfreshhellpodcast.com, which is how Maggie decided to write to us. Maggie says she's a Margaret twin, first of all. Oh, yes. A Maggie Margaret. There's yeah. also Peggy Margaret's and there's Maisie Margaret's. There's a lot of takes on Margaret. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, Maggie, your Margaret twin. Loved the useless metrics episode, she says, particularly Margaret's ability to take a stand both on society's unhealthy obsession with weight and on perfect attendance without being preachy. I appreciate you both. I love how you hold space for each other to have different opinions. Thanks for all you do, Maggie. Love it. I hope we don't get in a huge fight during this episode (laughs) and then Maggie's dreams will be dashed. But we hold space for each other on the What Fresh Hell podcast. And I should say on the useless metrics weight thing. That it's easy to sit at a microphone and be like, hey, weight is a useless metric. And I don't mean to say like, so therefore I never think about it. I mean, it stresses me out at the wedding. I keep talking about the wedding I just went to. Would I have loved to be like a little bit fitter in my dress? And did I see the pictures and feel a little bit like womp womp? I'm much bigger than I wish I was in that outfit. Those thoughts come to me, but I'm just saying this is my back to one touchstone Mm -hmm. of like, remember, this is a useless metric and I don't care about Mm -hmm. it. But I'm not like some magical person who has burned through having any concerns about what I weigh. But it's something that I try very hard to remember is not important. (laughs) Oprah talks to Eckhart Tolle and she's like, do you still have bad days? And he's sort of like, yeah, not really. (laughs) No, he's, he's burned through them all. Really? Hmm. I don't believe that. Oh, Eckhart Tolle. 
I have a lot of thoughts on him. I love him. But yeah, he might have achieved a level of perfectionism, which is not quite where I am yet. And admitting things, if I may segue, admitting things aren't perfect, which is what we're here to talk about today. Oh, Amy, you were doing a segue. I love it when you segue. I'm not good at segues. It's not a skill of mine. I mean, admitting things aren't perfect. You suggested this topic and I was like, yes, please. I would like to know why it's so darn hard to admit things aren't perfect, even though kind of like the weight is a useless metric. Being perfect is a useless metric. And yet I guess I chase it more than I should. Well, I mean, I think in our kind of stereotypical presentation, you would be the one of our twosome who's the perfectionist. Yeah. And I would be the one who's like, oh, who cares? Right. But I mean, it's obviously much more complicated than that. My sister has a great expression, which is when people describe themselves, believe the opposite. So me saying like, I'm super laid back. It's like, of course, there are a million places in my life (laughs) where I'm unbelievably uptight. And as I've said many times, I do like have a lot of OCD tendencies. Like that's not a relaxed person. Mm, You know, I got a lot going on. It's not that perfectionism only means that when I walk into your house, everything looks perfect. Although I will say when I walk into your house, I mean, it's pretty good. (laughs) Yeah. If you walk into my house, you'd be like, there's been a terrible burglary. Perfectionism. I went back to the beginning because I always find it useful to really define like what it is you're talking about because you think you know, but do you really? Right. So this is the perfectionism definition. Paul Hewitt and Gordon Flett wrote about perfectionism in the 90s. And it's sort of how everybody thinks of perfectionism these days. And I think they nailed it. There's three kinds of perfectionists. We'll talk about that. But first, this is what perfectionism is. It's a personality trait characterized by striving for flawlessness and setting excessively high standards for performance, accompanied by tendencies toward overly critical evaluations of behavior. Your standards are too high and you're also too critical. I'm wary of my sister's thing, but I don't think I have that. There are three types of perfectionists. Should we see which one is you? Okay. I mean, hit me. This is the third one is where I was like, whoa, this cracked this wide open for me. There are actually three types of perfectionists. Self-oriented perfectionism occurs when people are highly critical of themselves. That's what I think we usually talk about. Like, oh, like I have a stain on my shirt. Like I can't go outside. People will hate me. That's a self-oriented perfectionist. Or like my house needs to look like a Pinterest catalog before anyone can come over. Yes. Or I need to be a size two in order to go to the wedding or whatever. That's self-oriented. Sure. The second one, like, yeah, right. Familiar. The second one is other oriented perfectionism occurs when people are highly critical of others. I was like, "Mm, touche. My kids might say this is true of me, but I don't really identify as like I go around demanding extremely high standards of everybody around me, like the tiger mom or something. Mm, I have a thought on that that is big, but let's go to the third and then we'll come back. Okay. The third one, which I'd never heard of until last night when I was doing this research, socially prescribed perfectionism. Socially prescribed perfectionism, they argue, occurs when people think that others expect them to be perfect and then pressure themselves to meet those expectations. Socially prescribed perfectionism entails people's belief or perception that others have unrealistic standards for them and will evaluate them based on those unrealistic standards and are therefore feeling pressure to be perfect thanks to these external standards that are being forced upon them. That's like, I see it on Pinterest and my kids are dirty and they're not like perfect Pinterest kids in their perfect outfits. No, no, no. This is like motherhood. Like socially prescribed perfectionism is extremely familiar, I think, to anybody who's been a mother. Like the standards that society has for us 
are so high that we feel a lot of pressure to meet them. And that's socially prescribed perfectionism. Like, yeah, I am stressed about my kids doing all these things, right? Because I'm being assigned to do so by society. Hmm. And I very much identify with that. And I feel like that's what we talk about every week on the show. It's like, why is this a thing? And why do mothers have to worry about this? It's because the world tells us to. That's socially prescribed perfectionism. That's right. Your kid's supposed to go to a four-year college and speak three languages and play in the band and look at this person's kid. They do all those things. And what's wrong with you that your kid doesn't want to go to college and wants to open a, you know, organic milk stand or whatever? I think that that is just actually the case, that we put these standards of how kids turn out and what houses look like and whose uh, sisters-in-law's birthday got remembered on moms. When we do have these standards, but only for mothers, or at least much more so than for dads. And so it's not our imagination, but how we respond to those pressures is our choice. Agree. All right. So self-oriented and other-oriented perfectionism is, this is something I thought a lot about, and I feel like it unlocked my mind towards this stuff in a very specific way. They are a yin-yang. They are two sides of the same coin, that the more you engage in judging other people, the more insecure you feel about yourself. This is a theory I test in my own life. Like <laughs> the more I mind other people's business, the more I'm like, where are their kids going to college? Oh, oh, oh. what did their kids get on the exam? Oh, I'm, the more I sit up nights worrying, like, are my kids doing enough? Are my kids doing enough? Basically, if you go to a party and your experience at that party is... Oh, my God, look at her. Oh, she gained some weight during the pandemic. Oh, that's an ugly outfit. Oh, her and her husband are fighting. Look at them. They say we're wrong. The next party or every party, you're going to spend the half an hour before you go being like, do I look perfect? Am I presenting myself in an armor shell of perfection that nobody can penetrate? And it's an arms race and it's not interesting. Because, yeah, you can't convince yourself that weight is a useless metric if you're like judging other people for how much they weigh. Yeah. And I think as a young person, especially, and I think because I was comedy adjacent and hanging out with a lot of comics, like our MO was kind of to go into every situation and evaluate and goof on everybody's flaws in that situation. Like that was kind of our default mode. That was, yep. Mm hmm. Writer's room comedy. And it was fun. And we were funny about it. But as I got older, I realized that was slowly like a light acid, like destroying my sense of self, you know, that I was so busy always looking for the flaw and always looking for the moment to goof on that I was becoming a person who was obsessed with my own behavior so that I would never so that I would become Invulnerable? I believe that vulnerable and invulnerable is like flammable and inflammable. Yeah. Are the same word or something? What impervious? What like Teflon? I would become immortal to ever being goofed on through my own following of a very specific set of rules that I came to realize were insane and kind of goofy. I had never thought of when I hear others oriented perfectionism, I hear like sit up straight, put that in that, you know, like the stereotype of like a nun in a Catholic school in the 1960s that your handwriting has to be just so. And you're describing it as more of a like the wise guy sitting in the back of the classroom goofing on everything. That is also a form of perfectionism. I hadn't really considered that. It's certainly a form of being critical of other people. Yeah, I just think you cannot fix your own need for perfection without also boiling away your need to find other people flawed. Mm -hmm. That's the basic picture for me. It's like, 
Oh, right. My constant searching for flaws. The other way I see it play out a lot in friend groups and family systems is like you get very tribal, right? Like who's in the tribe and who's out of the tribe and what are the markers of that? which can be comforting because you feel tight within your tribe. But it's also very unbalancing because there's a sense that like there's motion through the walls, you know, and it's like you're not getting kicked out of any tribe. There's no tribe I'm getting kicked out of that I want to be a part of, you know, Mm -hmm. and just kind of putting the bags down on that, I feel like has actually changed the quality of my life for the better. The less I bother, I don't mind other people's business. And I try not to let it affect me when other people mind my business. Listen, again, much like, wait, I'm not like, oh, and so now I'm completely free and my life is great. I'm Eckhart Tolle, A, or whatever his name is. (laughs) But I do think that it's a closed circuit. Let's take a break. When we come back, I want to give you a study about socially prescribed perfectionism that really kind of blew my mind. Margaret, I've got a go-to baby shower gift that I give whenever there's another newborn in my life. Can you guess what it is? Amy, three guesses. First two don't count. It's Pampers Swaddlers. Exactly. Pampers Swaddlers keep baby's skin dry, happy, and healthy. Pampers Swaddlers absorb wetness better than the leading value brand and provide up to 100% leak-proof skin protection and up to 0% skin irritation. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologist approved by the Skin Health Alliance, hypoallergenic, and free of parabens and latex. Try Swaddlers with new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes for healthy baby skin. These wipes are five times stronger, gripping mess more firmly, shall we say, and making diaper changes a breeze. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Then redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Only redeemable via Pampers Club. Pampers cash has no cash value. Margaret, I've been at the research again, looking into metabolic health and more importantly, metabolic flexibility, which turns out is the key to improved energy levels, better sleep, better fitness, all the things. And I found out about all this because we got a chance to try Lumen, the first handheld device that helps you manage your metabolic health. Lumen works when you breathe into it. If you do that first thing in the morning or after a workout, Lumen measures your metabolism by measuring the amount of carbon dioxide in your breath. It's science, people. That lets you see exactly what's going on in your body in real time. Then you use Lumen's app to get tailored guidance to improve your sleep, your nutrition, even stress management. If you're interested in figuring out the effects of different sorts of foods on your body, Lumen is a really cool way to see what's actually happening as your body burns different fuel sources. If you want to take the next step in improving your health, go to lumen.me and use Fresh to get $100 off your Lumen. That is L-U-M-E-N dot M-E. Lumen.me and use the code Fresh at checkout for $100 off. Thank you, Lumen, for sponsoring this episode. So, Margaret, I know how you feel about the people of Finland and other Northern European countries. I love these people. They have Huga. They have free Luftslöv. They have free Luftslöven. They're happy all the time. Wasn't that made clear to us that if only we could live like the Finns? We learned all during the pandemic. You have to go back and listen if you don't know what we're talking about. That 
The ideal lifestyle is the Danish baby who gets left outside in the cold in a blanket wherever it goes. And we love all the Nordic people and their lifestyle. <laughs> Our imagined life. Like, oh, if, to be a Dane. Listen, if we lived, <laughs> believe me, if I moved to Norway, I would be <laughs> miserable. I don't actually like the cold that much. But I like the idea that there is a land of happy, cozy people wrapped up in their blankets cradling mugs. That's what I picture them doing. Well, yeah, you can keep thinking that, but I have discovered... Oh, don't give me a study that says that the Nordic people are unhappy. I will leave this podcast. I will walk off. Uh, I'm not going to say they're more unhappy. Don't do it to Maggie, who loves our (laughs) dynamic together. I'm just going to say that two female psychologists in Finland did a study of Finnish parents. Uh, Spoiler alert, Finnish parents can also be unhappy and stressed as parents. At times, just like we can. Okay. But they wanted to look at the role that socially prescribed perfectionism, in other words, like from the outside, like you need to do this right or else, plays on parents. And they found that the level of socially prescribed perfectionism that parents reported having, that was a greater predictor of whether these parents would end up being burned out, experiencing parental burnout. We can talk about what that is. More than unemployment more than divorce, more than having a kid with special needs, was how much socially prescribed perfectionism these parents felt. That makes a huge amount of sense. Yeah. And the higher level of socially prescribed perfectionism these parents reported, the higher their burnout. Finally, this will not shock you, mothers reported feeling more socially prescribed and self-oriented perfectionism than fathers, and consequently were more burned out as parents. And so the conclusion of the study was like, we need to look at this because parental burnout is actually something pretty serious and it's not great and we want to prevent it from happening. And we thought it would be like, oh, more childcare and more this. And it was like, no, how about less socially prescribed perfectionism? That's actually where we need to start, Finland. I mean, first of all, this is a win for the Finland people. It's it's, it's a good one because like... What we also love about Finland is they're like, let's think about what's making us happy or unhappy and trying to change it. You're right. You're right. They're so far ahead of us. The problem with us is we never do that. We're just like, life's a slog. Buy more of this product and eat more of these chips and you'll feel better. Like we never do this part, which is like, what is stressing us out and making it hard? Yeah. And this makes a huge amount of sense. I mean, I... I'm obsessed with happiness studies and happiness indicators. And there's been a ton of studies. Gretchen Rubin has an interesting book about it, about happiness being kind of a a line that is very hard to change. Your overall personal happiness line kind of stays consistent. But the one huge example of something that lowers your overall happiness set point, basically, is traffic, a bad commute. Like if you spend more than X amount of time every day in traffic, you are actually less happier every day. And it reminds me of this. It's like if you actually feel a constant dragging sense of dread that that is going to pull your happiness set point down. If you're stuck in traffic every day and it's really pulling you down, which it would, it would make me crazy. You start taking public transportation. Like, what do you do about that? It seems kind of similar to me. Like, wow, this socially prescribed perfectionism is a real problem. And the moms are like, yeah, but I'm soaking in it. What do you do when your daily commute involves a lot of traffic and it's making you really unhappy? Quit? Like, I'm wondering what the fix is. Your mindset or the situation? Well, I think that the biggest step one of the fix is understanding that it's a real thing. Mm -hmm. I have a friend who's really struggling right now and we were talking and pandemic's just been really hard on her and lots of different things. And at some point we were talking 
And I said, you know, you should feel terrible. You're in one of the most difficult situations I have heard about in a year. Like you are doing something that is so hard. I don't even know how you're getting out of bed every day. And I said later on, is there anything I can do for you? You know, bring a meal or whatever, help out in whatever way. And she was like, could you just tell me that every time I see you? Wow. And I was like, I sure can. And like, it's become kind of a joke between us. I see her and I'm like, you're doing something really hard. But I do think just just understanding that this is really hard is a huge step that we shouldn't just gloss over. Like, okay, so it's hard, but let's fix it. Like sitting in like one of the things that makes motherhood really hard is this absolute thing of I feel a ton of pressure to be a certain way. And all day, every day, I feel like I'm not making it. Mm -hmm. This is why the post office is such a grinding job because like the mail just keeps coming. You never are like, end check. I did a ton of studies. It's like, it's just mentally extremely grinding that like you do the same thing every day and you never crawl out of the hole. Like you put all the mail where it goes and the next day you wake up and there's twice as much mail. And so I think step one is like, this is as hard as I think. That's the definition of burnout. I looked up then, okay, like what's burnout? Again, like I think I know what it is, but what is it? It's chronic exposure to a stressful situation where the demands on you are high and your resources are low day after day. Traffic. Exactly. Right. Traffic post on the post office, office or, exactly. you know, parenting or, during a pandemic or whatever your situation is. It can lead to burnout, which is bad because burnout is just complete. We're talking about exhaustion. We're not talking about like, oh, I need a glass of wine tonight. We're talking like I need help. You know, I'm getting to the point where I really need some assistance here. But you're right. That being said, I think that there are some pretty clear solutions to this. And I'm going to start with my ex-boyfriends. I always point to this as the best piece of advice I've ever gotten in my entire life. And I put it in your path. You would be so much more relaxed if you realized how rarely anyone else ever thought of you. And I think that like it's a practice that I have to do a lot. Like, guess what people aren't doing? Leaving the party. I don't know if you've noticed. I'm a big <laughs> I talker. I they were, though. <laughs> I'm a big talker. The comedians are talking about you after you leave. Yeah. And like <laughs> some people are. Like, I talk too much. I definitely dominate conversations. I'm going to say this situation is not helped by having a couple of cocktails. Right. And I often leave a party and I get home and I have like wake up the next morning. And my husband is so used to this ritual by now. I'm like, was I being so obnoxious? Did I just take over the whole thing and talk too much? And was everyone just so embarrassed for me? And he's like, not really. It was pretty fun. You know, you were doing your thing. But the number one touchstone I go back to is people might have left the party and been like, wow, Meg sure had a lot to say, you know, but they're not like they don't get up the next morning at breakfast and write a treatise about how I talk too much. Like two people might have turned to their spouses and be like, wow, she's a lot. Why am I letting that affect four days of my life? You know, well, I think that is maybe the key to getting out of this, because I sort of look at like the socially oriented perfectionism like, yeah, it is a lot. We do have ridiculous expectations as mothers that the world puts us on us. And it's not our fault and that we feel them isn't our fault. And but maybe like the first, you know, key to sort of coming out from underneath it is. Okay, but there is some part of this. It's my perception, right? The world is noticing what, you know, Jackie brings for snack to preschool. And then it's goldfish every day when somebody else has a bento box. I mean, some of this, maybe. Not some to me. I mean, I think it's the majority of it. <sighs> I guess. I get that the incoming stuff is huge. 
But also we're like at our favorite rule. Right. What part of this can you control? So there are things you can control. You can get off of Pinterest. You know, if you're having pro- one of the things I did when I was having trouble with the idea of weight being a useless metric is I stopped buying fashion magazines. I stopped buying like, you know, I used to love that like self and there was some celebrity with a bikini on the cover. And I'd be like, oh, yeah, let me read the eight ways that it's like. I'm never going to look like that person, but I stop as much of the incoming as that as I possibly can. Yeah. But you can't control all of it. I guarantee that people might have seen me at the wedding and be like, huh, Meg definitely put on the pandemic pounds. That might have happened. That might have occurred within their head. But nobody spent three days with me at a wedding and walked away being like, wow, it's really, really sad that she let herself go like that. Nobody did. And that's the gap that I need to change for myself, which is... And listen, if I'm going to too many parties and drinking too much and being obnoxious, I I need to calm that down. I can fix that. You know, if it's fixable, fix it. But I think the degree to which it is something that we are perceiving and layering onto ourselves, that's probably where the fix has to come. So, yeah, you can just not participate. I used to get uh, Vanity Fair, the magazine, and, you know, still like some of their articles a lot, but I had to stop getting it because it just was every month there'd be some article about some actress that I totally knew and like used to sit in hallways with. Like, I always knew that I'd be somebody. And it just like. Right. It makes you feel bad. Right. It just was my like monthly dose of feel bad. Like, I don't have to read this. As you said, like she always knew she'd be famous. Everybody always knew they'd be famous, right? It's just like you had like one good audition. Right. Guess what? We both (laughs) always knew we'd be famous. Didn't work out. Right. And it's like, I don't really spend a lot of time thinking about this unless I'm reading this, you know, breathless article in Vanity Fair. So I don't have to read these articles. I can not look at this magazine anymore. And yeah, my life changed. It got better. I mean, listen, I went out to Hollywood and tried to be a big star, you know, and like, yes, I always knew I was going to be famous. I was going to win the Oscar. I was going to be, you know, have my own talk show and make funny films that I was the star of. (laughs) You kind of got one. That's right. I I know. I would be. I have a talk show now. Look at I'm doing it. I made my own. It's fine. I get to talk to you. It's great. But I do think that, yes, not engaging with the let me read a bunch of articles about people who I used to know who I didn't think were as good as me, who are now super famous. Not a good exercise for me. And I think that there is we're not just talking about the Hollywood stuff to talk about the Hollywood stuff. There is a parallel to motherhood that like. I feel that I have laid some of this baggage mm-hmm. down. And let mm-hmm. me tell you, the water's fine. It's great. I'm still a person who I had family in this weekend and we were supposed to be outdoors barbecue. It was my dad's birthday and it poured freezing rain the entire time. And so we were all inside. And so, yes, I did the three hours screaming at the top of my lungs, put that in the closet. Like, I don't want people to come to my house that looks like a, you know, storm just blew through. But Silence of the Lambs, Buffalo Bill's house. You can literally (laughs) see behind me because Amy's looking at me like, look at the house that I'm in. Like, this is my bedroom where I record and it is like full of debris, basically. But I shove stuff in closets. I'm not like I let it all hang out. But I do. I'm team let it go. I have another reason for you why we need to let this stuff go. Can I tell you after this? You may. Amy, you know me well enough to know that my daily power breakfast is toast with peanut butter on top. Toast with peanut butter. It's also, by the way, one of my favorite power breakfasts. We agree on that thing. We were recently together and we shared some toast with peanut butter. And I'm going to tell you, we used hero bread. It adds even more protein and fiber to that combo without adding any more sugar. Hero Bread has remade the carby, empty calorie bread products into versions that include no net carbs, 
zero gram sugar, and fewer calories, plus more protein and fiber, while still being super fluffy and delicious. I was not sure that that particular combination was going to be possible, but Hero Bread has figured it out. Yeah, this is one I'm glad they let us try. It's like, it really tastes good. I've been trying to add more protein to my diet, and I would have thought that a hamburger rolls was not the place to do that, Amy. <laughs> but all of Hero Bread's products, from rolls to tortillas to croissants, we please, offer protein and fiber, zero to one grams of net carbs, and zero grams of sugar. Start your Hero Bread bundle on their website and get 10% off your order. Go to hero.co and use the code MOTHERHOOD at checkout. I like this bread, people. It's H-E-R-O dot C-O and code MOTHERHOOD for 10% off your order of Hero Bread. Margaret, it's an exciting news day. An exciting news day indeed, Amy. A few years ago, we launched our first spinoff podcast, Toddler Purgatory, hosted by the hilarious Blair Brooks and Molly Lloyd. And guess what? Now, Blair and Molly are back with their all-new podcast, Unsticking It. You know Blair and Molly as two busy moms and actors, and somewhere between potty training and the pandemic, they both felt like they lost their creative kaboom. In their new podcast, Unsticking It, they are going to talk about how all of us can get back to what lights us up after motherhood. Amy, I need this. Me too. And Blair and Molly will be talking to fellow imaginative minds. We're talking actors, artists, and creators of all kinds about how we can all unstick ourselves from whatever muck we're stuck in. Follow, subscribe, and listen to Unsticking It wherever you get your podcasts. That's Unsticking It with Blair and Molly, because sometimes life stucks. And now, your guide to mom superheroes. From the What Fresh Out podcast. Calm mom. The large C on her chest doesn't stand for catastrophe. This is Calm Mom. Able to soothe bleeding toddlers with a single word. Ready to counsel sullen teens. Banned from the popular table at lunchtime with helpful insights. This mom is cool, collected, and there to support kids in need day and night self-care woman. It's a bird, it's a plane, it's a mom who knows she's no good to anyone else in her family unless she's taking care of herself first. Self-care mom can fill a bubble bath in seconds flat and sweet Odin's beard. If you don't see her in front of a sink full of dirty dishes, it's probably because she's letting her kids watch some screens so she can finish enjoying her novel. The Van Lantern. To the minivan offspring, the Van Lantern is ready at the wheel. No late night scouts meeting, no 5.30 a.m. hockey practice is too daunting for this mom. She's got remote opening doors. Her temperature controlled beverage fits perfectly into her cup holder. She's revved up and ready to go. Bedtime mom. Faster than a speeding bullet when it comes to finding lost lovies at bedtime. This mom comes into her full power at 7.30 p.m. sharp. She's the ultimate slayer of monsters under the bed and requests for just one more glass of water bounce right off of her so don't even bother captain holiday some claim she was scratched as a child by a radioactive candy cane but whatever the cause captain holiday has never been the same she starts decking the halls in october and by december she's got her home festooned from pillar to post she's got inflatables menorahs and that rudolph nose thing for the front of her car look out grinches mary has a new hero and it's captain holiday this has been your guide to mom's superhero Heroes from the What Fresh Hell podcast. 
So it's kind of related to what you were saying, but it's like another turn of the screw that we are so worried about what would happen if we admit that we're vulnerable or not perfect or put on 10 pounds or wish we were different or whatever. We spend so much energy protecting ourselves from what would happen if we did that. Yes. That that in itself is an additional contributing factor to our sort of exhaustion and burnout. Absolutely. It is much harder. And I will say the one area that I really have this is I don't need any help. Like to be vulnerable in terms of asking for help is where my yep. perfectionism really comes out. Like I would, I mean, if two chopped off both my legs and, you know, crawling across the lawn, I'd be like, I'll get it. I'll pack that suitcase. It's fine. Like I definitely, I ask for a lot of help from my husband, but I don't, I never want someone to come into my house and be like, let me clean that up for you. That's my kryptonite. Like, no, <laughs> I don't want any help. I have been working on this lesson very recently in my own life. I seek approval for being capable, right? I got it. I'm independent. I'm capable. There are times when all of us need help. I tend to wait too long to ask for it, right? Like I wait to ask for help until there are like cracks in the dam because I somehow think it's better if I did it all by myself up until now as if somebody's keeping track. And so then when I ask for help, it's like there's cracks in the dam and I'm freaking out. And I'm now I also need to hand you some of my emotional baggage and my freaking outness when this all could have been avoided if I just asked for help sooner. Because you see what I'm saying? Like ask for help oh, sooner before absolutely. I get to that place and I don't. This is also a oldest child thing. I mean, mm -hmm. my husband has it so bad. And I often say to him, there's no gold star at the end of it. Yeah. There's no such thing as being the best at putting the lawn furniture up. Like there's right. no gold star. You say all the time, right? Like all the bags in from the car by yourself. You want the dentist to tell you your teeth are the best teeth they've ever seen. Like, well, yeah. And also that I behaved the night. I was the most, you know, compliant yes. patient in the chair. I complained the least about the water pick or whatever. Yes. Yes. Like, look at you. Able to take it all without complaining. Can take it all. Yeah. And that is a funny phenomenon of my husband as well. We call it gold star. Like, yeah. Okay, gold star. Relax. Like, there's no prize. But listen, you and my husband both did extremely well academically and went to very good schools. And yeah. there's a payoff to being the gold star kid. But I was the third child and both of my siblings did extremely well academically, went to incredible schools always got the gold star. And so I, as we've talked about, define myself in opposition to that. And I was sort of like, <laughs> not me, fools. And I did my own thing. Go for a different kind of bird seed in this nest. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, I'm not chasing the gold star, but I do think it's pretty relaxing to not chase it. Now, that being said, when I do something and it's not done well, it makes me crazy. Yes. You have to relax your standards if you're going to hand things over. Now, no, I can't hand anything over because it's not done the way yeah. I want it done. And definitely I would never, I mean, I work on so many different kinds of projects and it just kills me to see it not done correctly. Correctly meaning the way I want it done, of course. <laughs> Come inside my head and look out through my eyes and just do it for me, please, while I do something else. Yeah, I have a very strong opinion about what is good and what is not good. And to put my name on work that I consider not good is, that's anathema. 
when I have to hand something over, like when things are like bad and I need help, right? That's also scary. Like I let things go too far. Then it's like, well, I'm cracking under this particular burden. I really need help. That's scary. Then it's a little bit of scariness in your head. Like, whoa, this must be really bad if I'm about to lose control and I need help. It's scary to admit you need help. And then there's also a like, how will people react? Like, will they like me? Will they react the way I want them to? And sometimes people don't. Sometimes people back away when you say, this is where I'm at. Things aren't perfect. I need help. You know, I'm actually not always who I am on the outside. Like some people aren't going to like that. And I've learned that too. It isn't just like, oh, well, people don't care and they'll love you if they say. Correct. It's not, that's not always the case. Sometimes people are like, oh, I need kind of have my own stuff going on. And you do have to accept that possibility. You're not crazy for worrying about that. I mean, but yeah, you got to do it. Yeah. No, I mean, that's so true. And that's a very, very good point that I should not gloss over. Somebody wrote to us a long time ago on the Facebook page about like, kind of like she lives in a town and she's not as rich as the other Don't worry about it. Right. And I was like, oh, you know, you're that's all in your head. And then she like wrote back and she was like, no, they didn't want to hang out with me. I was like, oh, they sound horrible. But OK, you're right. Like, it's not. The answer is not always. And like, I'm sure there are people not inviting me to parties who are like, she's a lot at a party and we want to have our own time. Like, it's not that like, oh, just no one cares. Of course, people care. And you're not for everybody. Nobody's for everybody. And that's fine, too. You can practice this. You really can practice this. My boys have started cleaning their own room and making their own beds. And they're pretty bad at it. I just get those joy chills when I walk into their room and it's perfect. You know, like every book is aligned. Everything is just so. And let me tell you, I'm not getting those joy chills. Like I'm going up and there's still lint on the rug and the beds. Oh my gosh, my kid made his bed the other day and it was at like, it's a quilt. So it has stitching, you know, <laughs> rectangle. Indicating whether something's straight or not. Right. Like a quilt type stitchings. Right. And it was 45 degrees off. And I was like, what are you doing? Like these line up. And he looked at me like, is that a thing? And I thought, this is what I'm not, I shouldn't be doing. I shouldn't be coming in and being like, the stitching on your comforter is not horizontal with the bed line. Find places where you feel comfortable practicing things being less perfect. Mm -hmm. I've seen that when I was always researching this episode. Just advice like send an email without proofreading it. (laughs) Things like that. It just seems really facile. And you were like, how very dare you? In what world? (laughs) Excuse me. But yeah, it's like do it in little ways. Leave the house without checking how you look in the mirror one more time. That you can practice it in low stakes ways. But again, going back to that finished study, it made me feel better because it was like people who have high standards for themselves. It wasn't people who I have very high standards for myself and therefore I have parental burnout. It was people who felt like they were getting it from the outside that had the most burnout. That's where this problem occurs. And and it just never really occurred to me that some of this perfectionism that I feel and manifest is some of it I'm imagining the world is putting on me and some of it is real. But it's that part of it that I need to think about. And I'd never really thought about it before. I also think it's our look at the monster metaphor. I talk about like having a dream and I kind of realize it's a dream and I'm being chased by a monster. And the second I turn around to look at the monster, I wake up and I'm fine. Like it's like Mm -hmm. I go to this wedding. It's my family, many of whom it's a obvious. I'm like the new generation. It's like the younger person's wedding. You know, I'm the old lady at the wedding, basically, (laughs) which I'm not ready for. Look at you. Oh, what are you studying? You're that person now. Yeah. Pinching cheeks. Oh, you're beautiful in your dress. 
but I go to the wedding and I'm a lot of, especially even the people our age, just a beautiful group of people, many of whom are extremely fit. Everyone's looking at what we're wearing. And I am much heavier than I've ever been coming to a wedding. I, I put on a lot of pounds during the pandemic, right? I'm wearing a dress size that is a dress size I've never worn before. I am heavier than I've been. And I had to take some time to be like, this is not what matters. Yeah, yeah. So it's not like I just roll in and I'm like, hey, I'm so confident. Who cares? This is the real me. I have to stare at the monster. I have to think, what's the worst thing that will happen? People will look at you and be like, huh, you gained some weight. And I got to the wedding and one of my cousins who's hilarious. I was like, oh, you know, it's not a great time for a wedding. And she's like, look at me. I had to get the <laughs> butt taken out of this dress just to get into it. And we were just kind of laughing for a couple of minutes about like, all right, the absolute last day of a pandemic was not an ideal time to get dressed up in fancy clothes. But I do think like staring it down, like what's the sca- I think you're so right that so much of the energy is in like, what if my kids don't want go to college. My brother, all four of his kids went to amazing elite schools. And what if my kids don't get to go and they don't get to grades? What if? Okay, let's think about it. Let's knock it down. I think that holding that thought out from yourself is where all that emotional energy comes of like, you just kind of put it on the back burner and it's a constant simmering anxiety in the back of your head versus being like, let's talk about the reality. I was way too loud at the party. A bunch of people probably thought I was a hot mess. <laughs> and oh, well, I'll try better next time. And some people will like you better when you admit things aren't perfect, right? There is also the possibility that you will deepen your relationships with the people with whom you have the greatest connection anyhow, who will love you for who you are, who never needed you to be perfect in order to want to be your friend. The thing that's simple and true is that invincibility is living as close to your truth as possible. That like nobody can hurt you with something you know is true. Mm. The more you are in touch with your own personal truth, the less vulnerable you feel around that. Like my kid is, I'm not talking about my own kids. My kid happens to be really difficult to be around because he has certain quirks that makes him unlikable and other people don't want to be around him. That's a horrible thing to think, but it's a much more horrible thing to think secretly and then worry about other people knowing that it is to just drill down on the truths of your life. I think people can tell that my marriage, again, I'm using stories that are not true. Don't call me relatives. <laughs> Don't at me. Don't at me, relatives. <laughs> Other people can tell that my marriage to my husband is failing. Therefore, I have to double down in pretending that my marriage to my husband is not failing. I would just suggest instead, and believe me, I don't do this every day, but I try to sit down and be like, my marriage to my husband is failing. And this is how that's going to play out. You're not fooling anybody anyway. Get as close to your own truth and then you just become much more invincible to like, oh my God, does everyone think I'm perfect? They don't. Yeah. And the harder you're spinning those plates to try to pretend you're perfect, the more goofy you look. (laughs) The more cyborg-like and inaccessible you become. Plus it's energy. Yeah, or just like, you're not fooling anyone, I don't think. You know what I mean? You're not fooling one, and it takes a lot of work to deal with your reality, so don't give yourself the additional work of this isn't happening. 
And it's also okay to be a perfectionist. Like, I don't look at you. I don't come. I mean, your house, like I said, every time I see you, you look very put together. Your house is very put together. But it's a natural extension of like who you actually are as a person. I don't look at you and be like, oh, my God, poor Amy. Like, I wish she would just relax. And like, it's part of who you are. It's authentic. That's the thing. And I think that authenticity is key to it. You know what I mean? Mm hmm. Not like, Amy, just let it go. Let your house be a mess. You would be miserable. It's okay to want it perfect. But if it's driving you, you're not driving it. I think you got to ask some harder questions. Right. It doesn't seem to me to be driving you. It seems to me like this is how I like to live. I'm going to try not to clean up before Margaret comes over. I see an abandoned mattress in the back of your of the room I'm looking yes. at right now. So I'm going to say Amy is not always perfect. I am staring at a mattress that is up against the wall. It's insightly, Amy. You should be ashamed of yourself. <laughs> see that? I'm not perfect. But have we deepened our connection? Do you feel better seeing the real me? So deep. <laughs> so deep is our connection. I was trying to sing that song from the 70s. It didn't go great. Guys, we solved it once again. I'm going to work on this. I'm going to work on this socially mediated perfectionism. We solved it. We solved it. I did a lot of talking in this episode. See, now I'm like, oh, I talk too much. I should have let Amy talk more. I learned, as I so often do, I learned stuff uh, researching this episode that I'm applying in my own life. I love it. Friends, if you want to achieve complete perfection, we have a very simple way <laughs> for you to do that. And that is to visit the all new What Fresh Hell merch store. There's mugs. Dun, da, da, da. There's like those tumblers for your coffee. I'm going to get one of those. There's notebooks. We have What Fresh Hell merch. We have Toddler Purgatory merch. It's really fun. We have some of our favorite quotes from the show. Go check it out. Amy, give them the address. It's bit.ly slash whatfreshmerch. And you can also find it on our website. If you go to whatfreshhellpodcast.com, we'll have a link. You can click right there. We'll put it on Facebook. It will be hard for you to miss our new bit.ly slash whatfreshmerch. I'm not worried about people <laughs> missing it at all. And when you get your merch, come to our What Fresh Hell group and show it off. Yeah, that's a good idea. Thanks for listening, guys. Thanks so much for listening. Go out there and be flawed, people. Flawed. We love you for all your flaws. <laughs> Are you overwhelmed by the things that get in the way of you doing what you want to do? Are you looking for ways to simplify life to better align with your values? Do you want to create space in your schedule so you have room for more of the good stuff? Play, joy, relationships, gratitude, and more? If you answered yes to any of these questions, I invite you to check out Edit Your Life, a podcast to help you edit the unnecessary from your life so you have more room to enjoy the awesome. Through episodes with me, Christine Co, and a range of super smart, compassionate, and thoughtful guests, you'll come away with big picture insights and practical ways to declutter your home, schedule, and mental space without getting bogged down by perfection. I have always believed that small moments and actions matter tremendously. My goal is to help you find agency and space in your life through doable baby steps that will leave you feeling accomplished instead of overwhelmed. Check out Edit Your Life wherever you enjoy your podcasts. No one told us the truth about parenthood. Why? This is the podcast everyone needed before they had kids because now that those little ones are here, whew, there is a lot to unpack. I'm Rachel Shepardota, and I am your host for the podcast, No One Told Us, where we tell the truth about parenting and let you in on all the stuff you really should have known about before having kids. I am the founder of Hey Sleepy Baby, but this podcast is so much more than sleep. We'll be diving into all the topics that you really care about and need to know 
while you do your best job raising those adorable, tidy humans. Our goal is to just make you feel less alone and less overwhelmed. There are so many things that no one tells us before becoming a parent, and I think that we should really pull back the curtain on becoming a first-time or second-time mom or dad to share the good, the bad, and the ugly. We'll have a little education, a little fun, and a whole lot of heart that goes into each and every episode. So join me and our amazing guests each week to hear us talk about what no one told us 